0: Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we will look at the recent finding by the Federal Court against the Maritime Union of Australia over industrial action taken at the Gorgon LNG project in Western Australia. Later, why the quad bike is the number one killer on farms and what it takes to make them safer. But first, some news and updates. The CUB dispute is into its seventh week. Some background... 55 skilled workers were sacked by CUB, owned by Sab Miller, at its Abbotsford facility in Melbourne and told they could reapply for their jobs with a 65% pay cut and on individual contracts. The ETU and AMWU members have been picketing the factory in Southampton Crescent, Abbotsford, Melbourne from 6am to 6pm daily. Recently, The Herald Sun refused to run an ETU ad with a crushed beer can with the slogan CUB trashing Australian jobs, so don't believe that it's all about money. The workers are asking people to think twice about buying key CUB products including VB, Foster's, Carlton Draft and Peroni, and also things like Pale Ale. And fat yak. You might even want to throw in the Herald Sun to the list. There is an action at Southampton Crescent on Thursday the twenty eighth of july at twelve noon if you're in town. The Union at the Sab Miller Sony Pat Bury in the state of Haana, India has been organizing mass protest actions in response to the harassment and intimidation of trade union leaders and members and management's refusal to respect collective bargaining rights. The attack on rights at Miller, India follows the company's union busting its Miller owned Carlton United Breweries in Australia, ahead of the impending merger between AB InBev and Miller, which would create the world's largest transnational brewing company. 700 National Union of Workers at the Coles-owned Giant Polar Fresh Warehouse in Melbourne have voted to go on indefinite strike starting Wednesday the 27th of July. The workers work around the clock in chiller rooms to keep Coles supermarkets in Victoria supplied with fresh produce and chilled goods. As well as improvements to breaks, allowances and training, the workers are demanding an immediate increase in the base rate of pay and strict controls on labour hire and casual employment to increase job security. They also want a two-year agreement that will enable the workers to take legal industrial action alongside other workers in the coals distribution network in the future. There's just news in that the A Triple C, with the assistance of the federal police, raided the Canberra offices of the CFMEU on Tuesday, the twenty-sixth of July, based apparently on different evidence out of the Royal Commission into Unions than the evidence used in the first raid. This second raid on the office has been greeted with bemusement by the CFMEU, since, as an official said. We have nothing to hide. Over the past year, Stick Together has been bringing you updates on attacks uh, against Australian workers on the waterfront and, in fact, Australian-operated shipping as a whole. The removal of Australian crews on supply ships in Australian waters and replacing them with foreign crews under flags of convenience ships placing them outside Australian industrial law, ships like the MV Portland. The whole process is against the principles of international cabotage laws and only possible because of the expansion of laws allowing one-off use of non-Australian ships when Australian ships and crews are unavailable. Why would the Federal Government be party to the loss of Australian jobs, you might ask? A decision in the Federal Court against the MUA last week is a great place to see all the levels of power, money and influence as they come to a head against Australian workers. The Maritime Union of Australia is facing a $10 million damages claim after the Federal Court found the union used safety as a pretext for unlawful industrial action that affected Chevron's Gorgon LNG project. This is not to say that the decision by the Federal Court wasn't in adherence to the Australian law. Remember, if a union is to take lawful industrial action under current Australian law, it must be during EBA negotiation periods or if a health and safety issue is at stake. The MUA safety concerns and stoppages coincided with the employment of foreign seamen on supply ships by Chevron and the federal court was asked to decide if it was a legitimate reason. The
1: promise was that the vast Gorgon gas project would deliver a tax bonanza for Australia with billions for hospitals and schools. Now there are fears that there could be very little revenue thanks to a controversial scheme devised by the US resources giant Chevron. Chevron's latest accounts show that it's added $7 billion to a loan facility. Chevron, the, critics, the say,
0: multinational the American Company, the modern reincarnation of Standard Oil with subsidiaries such as Caltext, is the prime mover of the Gorgon LNG project in Western Australia. Like all massive resources exploitation projects, the citizens of a country are promised jobs and tax dollars. Clearly, the tax dollars are in doubt. And the jobs also seem to be going down the toilet with Chevron bringing foreign crude supply ships. In a recent interview with former MUA official Kevin Bracken, Kevin Healy from 3CR's City Limits program was able to get some background to the dispute.
1: The background to this story in Western Australia, where the on the um, Barrow Island Gorgon project by Chevron. Uh, the union took action about bringing foreign crews on and getting rid of union labour, uh, and has been told by a court that the action they took around health was was unprotected action, and they can now be sued for about ten million by the company. This is, this is, um, I guess the back the problem we face with unions today is that really they can't do anything anymore, can they? Since the Wreath legislation and the work choices etcetera, there's there's very little unions can do industrially that can be deemed legal.
2: Well, they've kept yeah narrowing the um, narrowing the definition of industrial action, and um, it, was a, it was a health and safety issue uh, that held up that ship that was um, being serviced. But the um, yeah, they've found out that they've judged it to be um, industrial action. So I think originally the, um, Chevron was wanted to sue the union for twenty eight million dollars. So it's down to twenty down to ten million dollars now. Oh, but the whole the, the, the bringing that foreign ship onto the, that job was totally unnecessary, and it was only done to tie us, in, tie us up legally. There was two Australian ships already on that job that weren't working to full capacity when they brought the, the uh, foreign crew ship on the mm. project. And, and, uh, and it was one-
1: just done... Yeah. One of the um, emails, because unfortunately perhaps you should stop using emails, anyone should because they keep bringing them up in court in these cases, but one of the emails was from a, an organiser that said we have a number of safety issues that must be fixed, must being in capitals, rectified or looked into before we can start work. He later listed 12 safety issues including an alleged inability to inspect ramps, a potential head injury hazard and a lack of a safety rail on a ladder, but the but his honour ruled that was... that, that but somehow broke unprotected action just saying that.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's yeah, not only like here I suppose even in um, this one's in Bogger Patrick's here because the um, the the box rate turned down. The judge ruled that was in uh, the last DBA we did there, but that was in unprotected industrial action too. So the the uh, definition of industrial action is getting narrower and narrower all the time. So and it's just you know. This has been a long-term um, thing over the last 30 years, that they've been you know, lessening all the things that unions could do that you know, res- ended up in a, a positive result for them has been turned to, to be illegal now, yeah. including you know, safety issues on, in an um, industry where there's a, lo- a large number of fatalities. So, I mean, if you're working in stevedore in this country, I think you're uh, twice as likely to be killed than what you are if you're a member of the Australian Defence Force. So it was a higher,
1: twice a fatality rate for Steve or is twice the rate of the um, ADF. And yet, it was the, what the ruling really says is it's legal to sack union labour and bring in foreign crews. And when we say foreign crews, we're not being racist here, but we're bringing in crews that obviously are getting very little, very low wages, um, which is what it's all about. That's legal, but it's illegal to take action against that. Essentially, that's what the court's saying, isn't it? That's right,
2: and it's. What they're doing is, you know, there's a high court case going now, and if um, if we lose this case, we'll probably lose um, all the all the uh, our own presence in our own offshore oil and gas industry. Um, and that came out of um, Michaela Cash, you know, a reg- regulation that she brought through. We took that to a um, to the high court, and we won the decision. You know. that... Um, it was illegal, and the next very next day, she made another change of the regulation, which said that you, know, you don't have to have Australians crew work in the um, offshore oil and gas industry. So we've taken that to a full full bench decision. Now, if that goes against us, we'll probably we won't even be able to work in our own offshore oil and gas industry. I mean, previously up until this government, there's been bipartisan support for Australian shipping, and the reason is if you have a look at the map, you know we're an island nation, and every time we've been um, we've had to start up our own shipping fl- fleet. Was through war because no one else had, all the shipping lines were sticking, you know, were um, up in the rates all the time. And that was the Commonwealth shipping line, and, you know, and later what became, you know, the Australian National Line. So, in the last major um, pipeline project in Australia was the um, Impex project. It was the largest, the heaviest pipeline ever laid. The federal government wanted it all done with foreign crew. And it was only the our, because of our relationship with the International Transport Workers Federation and the um, relationship we've got with the Indonesian seamen, Union, that they used Australians to crew that ship. There was 29 Australian ships on the project. It was built on schedule, ahead of time and and within budget. We've been doing this work for 60 years and there's no reason why we couldn't be doing it now except the government doesn't want us to do it. And um, Why has got me beat? Because the people who've worked from overseas don't pay tax here And that money doesn't get spent in Australia, whereas Australian workers pay tax and they actually spend their money in the country too.
1: The bosses say that uh, you're not being real because we now live in a globalised world and we're competing with with ships that have much lower labour, etc., etc. Therefore, you have to recognise the realities. Comment on that.
2: Well, take it to the nth degree. Why should we pay an Australian soldiers, you know, seventy thousand a year when we could probably employ uh, twenty from Nigeria for the same price? Yeah, good we And, point. and where, where does it go to?
3: I'm I mean, trying to think of the British answer, force. Kit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, mercenary forces. Well, for why Australia, should we pay, right?
2: pay politicians? We can get you know twenty you know Filipino politicians for the price of one Australian. You know, well, you lose your whole sovereignty <laughs> of the country. That's if we don't. You know, the government of this country is meant to be looking after the people who live here. Nothing else. Forget about any other agenda, which both parties seem to be looking after.
1: The Chevron case out of Barrow Island. In fact, when they brought in the foreign labour, they argued. Uh, they argued at the time, they, they used Howard's uh, law that excised part of Australia because of the immigration thing, stopping the boats, as so-called. Uh, they said that because he'd excised it, the Australian law had no, and Australian industrial law had no jurisdiction over the labour they were bringing in. Um, they tried every trick in the book. Yeah, well, and that's
2: currently what's at stake now with this um, High Court case. And as I said, if it, if it goes against us, then you know you can kiss any jobs that Australians have got working in our own offshore oil and gas industry. Well, unfortunately, we've been signed up to all these free trade agreements, which stops us protecting, you know, our own industries. You know, look at the government procurement. In any building project, you know, over five million dollars is included in the in the Trans-Pacific Partnership agreement. It's been signed off by the trade Minister, but has been signed off. It's got to be voted through Parliament, the implementing legislation. But that's just a corporate takeover of our public service, of our health system, of our education system. You know, every every government department will be, they'll break every little bit up into a little contract and that'll be open up for any of these, you know, 12 countries in there. You know, we've we've opened up into the labour clauses more, you know, Australia's allowed more labour to come in than any other country that's in the TPP has allowed, you know. And There's only one reason why they want to do it it's because they want to drive the Australian wages and living conditions down you're going to have the working poor here yeah. exactly yeah. you know but well, we don't need to be like that we've got a rich country you know when people want to work it's the government that's actually stopping people from working in this country you know this is what we need to do we need to develop our own country and we need to be making you know meaningful jobs you know in things that will benefit us what's happened but both parties are following a neoliberal model instead of saying what sort of country do we want and what do we have to do to get it there? That neoliberal idea that government's got to get out the market. Of course, when they get out the market, the people will manipulate the market to suit themselves. And that's what's happening. Mm. And, and that's what the government should be doing. They should be saying, what sort of country do we want? And what do we have to do to get
1: there? Indeed, Kevin. And in this specific case on of Western Australia, at the time this happened, we're going back to it, um, Albanese was actually the Minister for Transport it was a Labour government and the union begged him to withdraw the permit for the, for the non-union Labor ship and he refused to do it so um, that's an example of what Labour doesn't do I guess
2: That's right and just the, the issue with the uh, single voyage permits is just you know, open the country up to, to um, the Navigation Act says that if there's an Australian ship available then that's got, got to be used but even with the um, Portland, which we, they just got rid of, you know, um, this year, there's, um, you know, they've said that they can do it. Even though there's Australian ship with Australian man working perfectly safely, they've got rid of that ship and they're replacing it with, you know, ships that have you know, blatantly um, mm. bribed officials in other countries, in Nigeria and um, Argentina. You know, we come up, the, IT, the international transport workers come up with the, the paperwork showing that they've done it. You know, the the crews hadn't been paid, you know, in six months. And the government says, well, it's fine, you can do that.
1: What can unions do to overcome this problem that their hands are tied behind their backs?
2: We need, you know, unions to be properly organised and we need to be, you know, people put them in the... Everyone's got to be in the picture about what's actually going on. These little disputes all around the place aren't one separate separate dispute everywhere. This is part of a long-term plan which has been going on all the time. And the quicker people get their head around it... Yeah, you know, the, the quicker that you know, we can start doing something about it. They're trying to make us back into the old masters and servants, you know. <laughs> so we've got to. There's no reason why we should do. We need to, you know, talk and organise with each other about it. Right, and I'll just know. say this too. Before we finish up, Gorgon. That's a 60 billion dollar project, the Gorgon project. Chevron hasn't paid one cent in tax, and they don't pay one cent in okay. tax until it made for the first 15 billion dollar profit.
1: No, you know? and it's a an, and it's so a potential. go no, all
2: about these Panama papers and that. You know, these, these corporations are right in it and the shipping industry is right in it as well too. Try and find who owns ships and it's a very complex thing and who the beneficial owners are, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. It's all this smokescreen of corporate, you know, chonkiness that hides us from the real thing. Yet, you know, if his trade union does one step, one foot out of place, mate, they come down on like a ton of bricks.
0: You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Oh! 2001, more than 210 Australians have died in quad bike incidents. Of the 23 quad bike deaths recorded in 2011, 18 occurred on farms, making quad bikes the leading cause of injury and death on Australian farms. We spoke to Professor Raphael Gabetta from the University of New South Wales Transport and Road Safety Research Centre, about the work his team has been involved in to get some insight into the issues that revolve around the safety and quad bikes, but also to understand how research can lead to safety changes. Quad bikes, injuries and deaths have replaced tractors in um, the level of fatalities and injury in farming. Isn't that true?
3: That's correct, because people uh, tend to use the quad bike um, more as a small... um tractor, I suppose. It's, they're much more convenient. Uh, uh, you don't have to feed them. Uh, or yeah, you, Well, right. you do. You have to put fuel in them. Um, but um, uh, they're, they're, they are very convenient. The illusion is, though, that when they're stopped, they're um, upright. They don't fall over. And so there's this illusion of stability. Um, unfortunately, uh, what we're finding is that farmers um, were Uh, Tipping these vehicles over, particularly if they had a spray tank which raised the centre of gravity. That's particularly uh, bad, carrying loads. Um, on the backs of these um, uh, quad bikes. Uh, sometimes they'd overload them and then um, suddenly they'd find themselves underneath this quad bike that, um, and they can't push it off and um, eventually it kills them. What we've divided the um, countermeasures that we've suggested um, and what our recommendations are, there are what are called administrative controls. So that's not allowing anyone under the age of 16, uh, making sure that you're within very quick reach um, of someone who can come along and uh, if it falls on top of you um, and then um, so you can have an alert system the problem is whether someone can get to you in time that's the other issue so we recommended that maybe going out in pairs is probably better and then the uh, other thing is uh, wearing a helmet um, and now that helmet can be the New Zealand helmet they have a uh, quad bike helmet um, we, we've, we think that that half hat that they use um, is probably okay Um, The other um, uh, recommendation is that if you can't ride your quad bike actively, in other words, in an active manner, um, uh, then you shouldn't be riding a quad bike. It's not for you. It's the wrong vehicle um, for the purpose. Um, We uh, strongly recommend that people train themselves, and um, there are uh, companies that that do training, Um, and you should do at least a one- or two-day training course, regardless of whether you've been writing these things um, half your life or not. We we would strongly recommend it. So there is a couple of uh, fundamental administrative controls that we would recommend. Uh, On the design Controls and that's what the occupational health and uh, safety regs are all about, is um, that's the preferred direction to go in. We would recommend um, uh, people considering buying this sort of vehicle for their farms or for their workplace to consider a side-by-side vehicle. The side-by-side vehicles have seatbelts, a proper ROPS rollover protective structure, Um, and can carry much larger loads. Um, Some of them can carry up to half a ton. The critical issue here is that you must wear a seatbelt. The seatbelts need to be three-point seatbelts. It would be good if the unit also has an alarm system that warns you to wear the seatbelt like you have in your car, and you should be wearing that seatbelt all the time. The problem is some farmers that have uh, side-by-side vehicles don't wear their seat belts when they're out on the farm because they think they don't have to. It's not about um, legislation whether you have to or not. It's about the safety. The problem is if you don't wear the seatbelt, you get thrown out and you could be crushed by
0: the ROPs. But but the thing is, isn't it, that this is where people have said, oh, you know, it's just red tape and uh, you're interfering with our freedom and all that sort of stuff. And this is one of the bedrocks for the whole issue of health and safety, isn't it? Where applying intelligence is supposed to be an inhibitor of freedom.
3: We've seen too many deaths as a result of uh, people being blasé about the quad bike and um, the use of it, and they think it will never happen to them. And in fact, um, there is the classic case of the barrister, um, Ross Ray, who um, uh, was defending uh, against uh, putting any sort of rollover protective structure on these vehicles in the Classic coronial inquest by uh, Graham Johnson, number of years ago in Victoria. Now this uh, barrister actually um, was the lead counsel for all of the different barristers representing the different manufacturers. Well, uh, he's just recently died as a result of a rollover of a quad bike, and uh, I haven't seen the details of that case. But the issue here is that these vehicles can kill you when you least expect it we did all those tests so we we also did uh, uh dynamic handling tests what we found in the dynamic handling test was that the vehicles oversteer so they are prone to exacerbating the instability of these vehicles mm. so they will as you steer you, you put a steering input and then it will steer even harder as a result of that the thumb throttle as well as you go into this um uh, if you go over a small bump what found is that it promotes the rollover of the vehicle and as you try and right yourself back again you can inadvertently press on the th- thumb throttle and exacerbate the rollover so we've, we discovered that in the dynamic testing. In the rollover of course we did a number of tests with and without um, o- uh, operator protection devices in other words roll bars and so we tested the club bar we tested the lifeguard and what we found is that these operator protection devices were able to keep the vehicle up off of the, uh, the rider in some cases. However, in other cases, we found that the quad bar uh, could cause an injury. So most of the tests that we did showed that there was a definite benefit of having a quad bar, but it's not a panacea. Now, what we're doing now is we're surveying people. So we want to survey those who have an operator protection device and those who don't have an operator protection device who have suffered a uh, rollover in other words, been involved in a rollover, particularly those who don't have an OPD, um, how did they survive it, what injuries did they get, and also those with an OPD, how did they survive it, did they feel that the quad bar led to their injuries, or did it save them from their injuries? Uh, We need to find that information out so that we can then do some, well, we're Going to do a statistical analysis of that data, and then work out if, uh, firstly, whether whether these OPDs are injurious to um, to riders, which we suspect there is the odd one or two cases that we've heard about but in general we're finding that they are beneficial the other one is whether they're efficacious in reducing serious injuries to the rider and we need to do that statistically we need to do a statistical analysis so we need about 650 odd survey responses from people that have been involved so far we've got about 200 Uh, we're keen to get more so uh, we need to find out as much as we can from, uh, from, from people that are in the workplace that have used quad bikes, have been involved in a rollover to fill out our survey. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes.
0: How do they get to that survey?
3: All they need to do is type in uppercase letters um, the words T-A-R-S, which represents Transport and Road Safety, TARS. Uh, and then space UNSW for University of New South Wales. So it's T-A-R-S space UNSW. It'll take you straight to our website, and there you'll see the link to the survey.
0: That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Kevin Healy and Kevin Bracken and Professor Raphael Jabetta. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at the 3cr.org.au website and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.